ask you all the questions I've always wanted to know about you. We were super poor. Like we ate the food out of the garden in the backyard and my dad hunted and we ate like the meat was like whatever he had killed for like deer season or you own four RV parks. Yes. The short term park though is the one in Pigeon Forge and it also brings in the most money. You sit here and you say like, oh, my life is not interesting. But are you kidding me? You literally like went from poverty to like a multimillionaire. My boyfriend and I at the time had broken up. I was like heartbroken. And then my real dad died like the same week. And so I'm having this like whatever 21 year old crisis. I ended up getting sat at the wives table of these types of men. And they're like, oh my God, are your boobs real? Who's your favorite designer? And you're like, OMG, this is not for me. Hi, I'm Heather. And I'm Shannon. And we are two women here sharing inspiring stories about fearless females to help encourage you to live your life unapologetically. Welcome to the Unapologetically Me podcast. Hey y'all, we are back on today's episode. We're going to do something a little different for y'all. We've noticed that we've got my followers on here. We got Shannon's followers on here. And sometimes when we're talking about each other's stories, y'all don't know what we're talking about. So we're going to do something a little different for two episodes, and we're going to actually interview each other, which is something different than what we've done in the past. We're normally interviewing guests or just kind of having these fun conversations back and forth. So Shannon, you want to take over? I do. And I am so excited because there's been so many times that even though we're friends, we see each other like at the retreats and all these different things. I never, you're so busy all the time. I never have time just to like sit down and ask you all the questions I've always wanted to know about you. So now is my time. Uh, And I know that if I have these questions, other people probably do too. So let's start back because, well, actually, let me ask you this. When you think about your life right now, what do you see yourself? Like, how do you think other people see you? How would other people describe you? Or how would you describe yourself right now in life? I am always totally shocked by how other people describe me because I feel like I'm really transparent on like Instagram or wherever somebody is following me or in meetings. You know, some entrepreneurs don't share a lot of things about themselves. And so you don't actually know them. So when I hear people talk about me. It's really weird. Um, My mom does my sales calls and same thing. When people are on and they don't know they're talking to my mom, it's really, I don't know what word to use other than weird and a little uncomfortable because they think of me as this like powerhouse woman who does it all. And I think of myself as the amount of laundry that I have piling up and the controlled chaos that we have going on. Um, and I think that's just kind of the voices we hear in our head. Like there, it's never enough isn't the right word, but there's always like things on your to-do list that aren't getting done. And those kind of trump the thoughts that you're hearing that are the, the victories and the, the, those top storylines about your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. But I want to know, like, who is Heather Blankenship? I don't know. I don't know how you answer that question. So when I, okay, so I'll tell you, like, if I were to talking to a friend that had no idea who you were, and I was trying to, like, tell them about you, I would be like, she is like, this super successful, like entrepreneur, she owns RV parks, mobile home parks, just like a ton of real estate. She also has this like huge mastermind with all of these other really successful women that she runs and they teach like all these really cool things. And then she puts on these like really 
over the top cool retreats like a couple times a year. And she's also like a mom of almost five and she homeschools her kids. She lives in Florida and she's just like a really cool down to earth. Like you would never, when you met her, like you would never think that she does all the stuff that she does and that she's like this, like, would you call yourself like a multimillionaire? I mean, yeah, I think at that point, at this point, yeah. Right. So like, a multi-millionaire, like badass woman entrepreneur who is teaching other women to do the same things. Like that's how I would describe you, but I don't, I'm not good at like a title. So like when you're like, oh, you know, when someone introduces you on stage before you go speak somewhere, what do they say? I hate that stuff. <laughs> I'm just Heather. I don't know, but like the, I think it's because people need to hear like all of your accomplishments in order to take your advice, right? Mm -hmm. So you need a list of like, here's the five reasons I'm qualified for you to listen to me for the next 30 minutes. And you just listed all of them. Like yeah, when I was a single mom, I still built the real estate portfolio and I'm remarried and having more kids and still building those businesses. Like I, I think that's kind of how that industry works, right? Yeah. So how many, how many um, RV parks do you have? Do you just have the one in Knoxville? So I have four parks and then I actually own more mobile home like lots or sites. Okay. So you own four RV parks? Yes. The short term park though is the one in Pigeon Forge that you have been to. So when I'm in my videos talking about short term parks, you always hear me referring to that. And it also brings in the most money by far because those short term parks are like cash cows. You know, they're like this great mix between cash flow and appreciation. But the long term parks, because they're affordable housing, similar to a mobile home park, they kind of stabilize your portfolio. Um, it's kind of like short-term rentals versus like apartment complexes. The short-term rentals can bring in some really great cash, but depending on what's happening in the area or the economy and those kinds of things, you know, it's not quite as stable. So the long-term stuff stabilizes my portfolio. Do you know what I notice when I'm talking to you is you are such a teacher in nature that I'm like asking you questions about you. And then you go on to like teaching us about like all of these things. I'm like, Heather, I, I know in our mastermind, I learn all these things. I want to know about Heather. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything to say about me. Yeah. No, I'm telling, I'm trying to find out all the things about you. I want to pull them all out. Okay. So you own four different RV parks. How many like short term, do you have Airbnbs? Do you own Airbnbs, long-term rentals? You own like a lot of different asset classes. Like, can you tell me which ones you're in? Sure. So when I talk about short-term rentals, I have tiny homes and glamping tents. I don't have the traditional, here's a house or here's a condo that you rent short-term on Airbnb. Mine are more the unique accommodations that you see. Airbnb kind of started highlighting those a few years ago because people wanted these unique stays. So I have 22, 22 now, I think, um, tiny homes. And then I have 15 glamping tents and then I have six rental campers. And so those are the things that I have on platforms like Airbnb. I mostly get direct bookings, but, um, those that's my version of short-term rentals. Got it. And then how did you get started in real estate investing? Was it your RV park in Pigeon Forge? That was like, what started you? Tell me about that. Yeah. So my followers have heard this story a million times, but Almost 13 years ago, I was driving across the country in a camper from Florida to California, 
and kind of like you are now, right? And I'm looking around at all these RV parks and there's all these people there. And I know how much money I paid to stay there. And I'm multiplying that by how many people are there. And I'm like, dang, these people are making a lot of money. So by the time I got to California, I had been Googling RV parks for sale, campgrounds for sale. And I found one in the tourist town near where I lived at the time in Tennessee that was in bankruptcy and owned by the bank. So I called the bank and I was like, hey, I want to buy this. And they're like, how much money do you have? I'm like, I don't have any. <laughs> this was after the market had collapsed in 2008. And there were all these banks that had things like properties and businesses left on their books that they needed to get rid of. And so for them, taking a chance and giving me a loan, if I paid anything, was better than the nothing they were currently getting. And those properties had been sitting on their books. So they gave me a loan that you definitely couldn't get now. Um, now something similar would be like owner financing or, um, some creative financing deal, but they gave me a loan with non-recourse and no money down for $3.2 million. And everyone's always like, Heather, but you got so lucky. It was given to you. I'm like, it, not exactly. Um, you know, I had to very quickly figure out how to run an RV park. The first payment was $18,500. Um, the first power bill was like 20 grand. And so I had to very quickly figure out how to do that because I was going to go broke quick. How did you feel in the moment that you opened that first bill? <laughs> I would have died. I would have had like a full blown panic attack. What did you do? Well, I knew, I knew how much the payment was going to be right. Even though I was like, holy crap, I knew how much that was going to be right. Cause when I was talking to the bank, they had talked about that. What I didn't know, because I wasn't a real estate investor or business owner before who would have looked into like how much are all the utilities and like what's the property taxes and how much is the insurance? Like, I didn't know that. Um, I'm like, oh, there's a bill. It's $18,500. So when I had to pay the deposit to change the power to my name on closing day is when I figured out the $20,000 and was like, holy crap, I need another $20,000 today, which was like that not like a holy crap, like scared. It was more like motivation of dang, you need to figure this out now. Um, cause these bills are going to keep coming. And I know that like some people will look at you now in your life and be like, Oh man, like it must be nice. She's so rich. She's got all these things. Like it's easy for her. She's got all this money, but there, there was a time when I feel like people don't realize was you literally, I, I saw a picture of you when you first got this RV park and you had like one kid like strapped to your back in one of those like baby carriers. And you were like answering phones at the RV park and you were doing everything yourself. You even slept on the floor of that RV park when you first got it. Can you talk about that? I think that's part of the problem with social media today. Like a lot of the influencers make it sound like they're rich overnight and that they just like hang out in these really cool spots that they show you like B-roll from on the beach and like someplace we've never even heard of that's so majestic um, while their businesses run themselves. And that does not happen overnight. That does not happen in six months. Um, you have to be willing to... I know the word hustle, it gets a positive and negative connotation now, but you have to be willing to give up some things. And I got pregnant with my first child the same month I closed on that first property. So I didn't have a choice of shoveling mulch pregnant. You know what? I've had five babies or I'm about to have my fifth baby. And I feel like I'm pregnant for every chapter <laughs> of this story. <laughs> 
So for anybody you, like named them after like <laughs> if you right. like named them after all these like things that you did. Right. So and so say, for sorry. everybody who has these limiting beliefs of like I don't have time, I'm a mom, like you can do it at the same time. Um, you just have to be willing to. And so, I mean, my kids now go to closings and they uh, I've got two of them in the background now. They're listening to podcast recordings. Like they my oldest daughter goes to the retreats for the, our mastermind and she freaking loves it. So I think it just depends on the lifestyle that you want and what you're willing to do to get there. Um, because a lot of people wouldn't sleep on the floor for the first six months and do all those things pregnant and while having their first child. What would you say is the one thing that's contributed to your success? So you've heard me talk about my mom saying the don't say I can't say I can and do it. I think as a little kid, her constantly saying that, um, has given me this character trait that causes me to not give up. You keep trying and keep trying and keep trying until you find a way to make something happen as opposed to giving up. After, a lot of people give up the first time something goes wrong. And then the next group of people give up the second or third time things go wrong. But the women's mastermind that you and I met through, it took me four tries to get to where we are. Like, and now it's great and super successful and we're helping so many women and it's this full-fledged business at this point, but that didn't happen the first go around. So I think not giving up and continuing to persevere when a lot of people would quit is what makes the difference. I, I totally agree with that. If you look back at like the most successful people, like wasn't it like Thomas Edison or somebody that invented the light bulb? Like all of the, all of the most successful people you you hear their stories and it's like they failed so many times, like over and over and over again. And when most people would have given up, they just kept fighting through. And so I feel like that is one of the biggest factors when I see successful people or I talk to them. And I feel like you you have that like a thousand percent in all the things that you do. Like, And it goes to a part. level that most people in their lives think they're crazy, right? Right. They're like, why are you still doing this? You shouldn't do that. I saw a reel today of somebody that like 18, we had a baby 22. We, you know, wanted to buy our first rental property and like all of their family saying, no, this is dumb. And then we wanted to homeschool and they said, this is dumb. And now that we're 35 and financially free and doing whatever we want, everyone wants to know how we did it. Um, and it's kind of that same idea. Like you can't let the people around you who have never accomplished what you're trying to accomplish or never lived the life that you're trying to live, like be talking in your ear. If they, yeah. and it's not even asking them for advice. If they have access to your thoughts, it's going to go really bad because that's, those are the voices you're going to hear when stuff is failing and not working out and you need to try again. Yeah. So do you have like a, do you do like a time audit of your circle? I don't know what that means. So like, meaning, you know how that, that saying that everyone says, like, you are the five people that you hang around oh, yeah. most. So like, when you said that, it made me think about like, oh man, like there's certain people, like even family members where I'm like, you know, sorry, but, uh, we're not, we're not talking to you anymore because this is like, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like it's been a whole drama, like with our, you know, certain parts of our family, because it's, it affects us so greatly. And it just like, completely ruins like so much of our like confidence and self-esteem and it's hard you know so I feel like so, you probably do that 
Yeah. And so mine goes even further than that. And I haven't ever thought of it as auditing, but even somebody who has a negative personality or negative vibes, somebody might say, or is constantly criticizing something or isn't just generally encouraging and uplifting. Um, I don't have those kinds of people in my life. They don't have access to me. The ones who are constant drama and all of those things, they aren't around me because that's going to affect how you're feeling for the day and which bleeds into all other areas of your life, not just your business, your family, your kids, um, everything. And yeah. it, it's, it's not good for anybody. Yeah. I love that you do that. Yeah. I saw a post on social media. I can't remember who it was, but they were like, oh, we audit our, um, our time. And that some people, they, uh, did the analogy of like liabilities and assets, like which friends and people around you are liabilities. The ones that are like energy draining, sucking the life out of you negative all the time. And then, you know, who are your assets? The people that are encouraging you, your cheerleader, you know, um, people that are like giving you value. So, um, yeah, I, I liked that, uh, that post. So, Okay. Gosh, I have so many freaking questions. I literally, this is so creepy, but I write down questions to ask you <laughs> like when, because I'm, I'm always like, I'm going to forget. So like even, uh, for your, we, for the mastermind, Heather does a Q and a, uh, usually once a month and I'm all and one time she called on me and I was not prepared and I didn't have a question and I felt so dumb and like, wow, like what was I thinking? Not having a question when you can put yourself in, in the room or around people that are successful and doing what you want to do, make sure you are prepared with questions because, uh, when you're not, you're going to feel real dumb. Okay. So <laughs> what would you, <laughs> what would you say? Um, hold on. I don't want to ask that one. I want to ask a better question and have good questions, but don't be an asshole. Right. Tell you talk right, about it. Love that from pace. Yeah. But <laughs> I remember you saying that. I I have a question. What is something that no one's asked you that you wish they would in an interview? Is there are there I know you're so transparent. I mean, we literally have a podcast called Unapologetically Me because right? we like there tell isn't things that people don't know. Like I'm pretty transparent about all of that. So there's so is there anything that's like was there something in your childhood that happened that you think <laughs> Wait, why are you laughing? I'm curious. I think because the, the, the like line of questioning that we have is for these people who are super emotional and they like do really good with therapy, which I know you do really good with stuff like that. Wait, and I remember, <laughs> yes, I had this session with, um, this lady and I really like her. So I'm not going to talk about who it was, but I had this session with this lady and she tried to talk me through all of this. And when they do that, they like, they try and get you like if they keep poking you, eventually you'll come up with something, but it's not really relevant. Right. Some people have legitimate traumas or like experiences. Well, no, I wasn't going to ask you about trauma. I was going to ask you about like if it was something in your childhood that you remember, like when you were younger, that like, you know how when we're little, some people know what they want to be when they grow up. Do you know what I mean? I like, mean, kind of. Yeah. I didn't have that. Like, well, actually, that's not true. I wanted to be I wanted to be like a model and an actress because I grew up in L.A. But it was like but I didn't really like once I once I got older and I realized like, OK, yeah, no, I can't act like this is not what I really want to do. It was just like an idea of something that I thought I wanted to do because I saw other people doing it. And I thought that's what success was. But when you were little and where you grew up, 
what was like your idea of success? Or did you have like an idea when you went to college or growing up, like what you wanted to do? Because for me, I was so lost. I had no idea. I wanted to do like a million different things, but then I did them and I didn't like them. Did you have like on your path growing up or when you were younger, like an idea of what you wanted to do? And when did you get to the point where you realized like, oh yeah, I love this. This isn't my passion. I want to do this. So I grew up in Mississippi, super poor. Like we didn't even know people who had money. My grandmother and I walked to church every Sunday. Um, Like we were super poor. Like we ate the food out of the garden in the backyard and my dad hunted and we ate like the meat was like whatever he had killed for like deer season or him fishing or whatever. Like we didn't have running water inside the house. So I would go in the backyard as a little kid and take a bath in a wheelbarrow. Like we were really poor y'all not poor. Like, you know, you see poor people now, like really poor and like not homeless either, but we always had plenty food and we always had, you know, like heat and air and all those kinds of things, but we were definitely well below poverty level. And I didn't know people around me that, um, were like wealthy. And I have a cousin who's about six months apart from me and her and I were best friends growing up and kind of grew up in the same situations. And we were the first generations to like actually go to college. My grandmother went to college, but she only went to college after like me. Um, she was, she got married at like 14 or 15 and, um, was in this super abusive relationship and eventually got divorced. And then, um, she joined the military and then like, she's got a crazy story. She got her college degree, like after all of that. And so now she's a psychologist, which is freaking amazing for where she came from. But as far as like, when we were growing up, no one had been to college. No one had this really great job. Um, so we didn't have those things to look at and be like, I'm going to be like that. Or we, we didn't have normal TV. Right. So there wasn't even like things to look at the, the school that I went to, like, the, the school in the city taught etiquette and I went to the school like out in the country where there was nobody and we learned hunter safety. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was, I grew up super Mississippi, right? Wow. So, um, when I got a little bit older, my mom moved us to Illinois and things were significantly more modern there. And, um, I decided that I would go to college after I finished high school but I didn't know what I wanted to go to college for. And my mom had gotten remarried and um, to my step now stepdad who adopted me when I turned 18. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for his, the relationship with him, but he insisted I should be an electrician <laughs> and I have no skills related to be an electrician, but he had been to his accountant at that time. And there was this female electrician there um, like doing her taxes before my mom and dad who had made really good money that year. And my dad's like, you should be an electrician. I'm like, dad, I have zero skills that make you think I would be good at being an electrician, nor am I interested in that. So I go to college and I'm interested a little bit in business. I don't know why. Um, but I just thought I liked the idea of it, but I didn't want like this, this general business degree. So I went to college for supply chain management, which is like purchasing logistics, warehousing. And I got my internship with a company called Monsanto. And I cannot believe that you worked for Monsanto. By the way, how when you, crazy is that? 
I was yeah. like shocked. I literally, my jaw dropped when I was like, oh my gosh, you worked for who? I was like, no freaking way, not Heather. I'm like, she homeschools. Like we don't vaccinate yep. our kids. I can't believe that. But like, as you a kid, you them. like now it's because kids have access to like social media and things like that. Maybe they know more. But when I was in college, I didn't know what genetically modified seeds were and like there were evil companies and things like that. So I had no idea. So did my internship in the purchasing department with Monsanto and I was so freaking bored, y'all. I hated it. I can remember calling my mom being like, oh my God, I can't believe I've gone to college for this to be what I'm going to do from the rest of my life. This is terrible. And that was in Iowa City, which is also so freaking cold in the winter and it just, it sucked. I hated it. So I came home from um, my, my internship. My boyfriend and I at the time had broken up. I was like heartbroken. And then my real dad died like the same week. And so I'm having this like, uh, it's not a midlife crisis because I was like 21, but like whatever 21 year old crisis. And um, my cousin that I talked about earlier was in nursing school in Memphis in Tennessee. And I'm like, find us an apartment. I'm moving to Memphis. She's like, what? I'm like, I'm coming to Memphis because she was living in the dorms. And so I moved to Memphis and got a job bartending on Bill Street, um, which is like, for those of you who haven't been to Memphis, it's kind of like Bourbon Street, New Orleans. It's totally wild. The bars close at like six o'clock in the morning. And I made really good money doing that, but you can't live like that forever, right? And I, my husband was asking me about this the other day. We had to wear these stupid little short plaid skirts and these t-shirts that said beer goddess. And I'm like, then you're going to punch the next person that calls me a beer goddess. Like I did not have the personality for that. Um, and so I, I got a photo. Job. We need to like, we need a photo. I'm that. sure there's one somewhere. We need to find um, it. But I hated it. And so I got my first like college related job at Enterprise, the car rental company. Yeah. I was a finance manager for them, which was super fun. And I was making really good money. They promoted me and transferred me to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where I lived for like 15 years after that. Y'all know most of the story after that. I got married and was driving across the country to camper and bought a campground. <laughs> so okay this is so crazy Heather you you're like you you sit here and you say like oh my life is not interesting but are you kidding me you literally like went from poverty to like a multimillionaire. your life is extremely and not just interesting but it's so inspiring and I know you get like kind of shy talking about yourself you don't like to like brag and say these things but I feel like you sharing your story is so important to help other people know and like give them hope and inspiration and encouragement that maybe if they're, you know, also living in poverty and thinking like they could never have a life like yours because you didn't share your story. You know what I mean? Like sharing your story could inspire so many people. And so I think, and I've never thought of it this way as I'm sitting here talking it out with you. One of the biggest differences I notice is every time I was in a situation that wasn't going well or I wasn't happy in, I immediately made a dramatic change. Mm -hmm. I did something totally different, whether it's moving hundreds of miles away or changing careers or whatever it may be, you half getting divorced, right? Like you have to make a dramatic change. No one's coming to save you. Yep. We're all grown now you have to make a change. So if you're sitting there wallowing in the same thing you were last year and the year before that and the year before that, it's no one's fault, but your own you. And no matter if like the way you got there is your fault or not, because you can blame whoever you want. 
what you do going forward is all up to you. You need a dramatic change now. What is that going to be? I love that. I think that that's so true. I love the, I forget who, someone else had said like, no one's coming to save you, you know, like you're on your own. I I remember like when I was younger too, I was like, oh, I'm just going to wait for like somebody to like see how talented I am or like, you know, and and I'm going to get an agent and a manager and they're going to like make me faint, like rich and famous. And, and it was like the harsh truth that that's never going to happen. No one, no one's going to come to like make you rich and famous. You need to put the work in and do all of the things yourself. And then once you get to some level of success, then someone's going to come in and be like, okay, yeah, now we want to work with you because we see that you're committed and you know, you're already doing well. Um, so yeah, I love, that's really good advice. Um, so how did you end up starting your mastermind? I know you've talked about it a million times before, but this is something that like I'm obsessed with and I love being a part of the mastermind. And it's like the first place I've ever felt like accepted, you know, and like where I have like my circle of friends of people I actually want to hang out with, you know? So like, tell us how you started that. I think it started on accident a little bit because, and a lot of people say that when they're talking about a business or a story that they have, but it truly was because the first like 10 years I was in business, I was so, so lonely. Um, because you don't really fit with the guys. And I was just talking about this with, um, and the mastermind were split up in tribes based on kind of where you are on your business journey. And I lead the tribe of ladies who make over a million dollars a year. And we talk back and forth daily, um, through WhatsApp. And we were just talking about one of the girls is at a meeting right now in California. There's 40 people there and she's the only woman. And she was like, we need to get so many more women in this room. I was like, you know what? I learned a long time ago that I don't want to be in their room. I want my own room. Because once you um, get on the board with all of those men or you end up invited to dinner or they invite you to go play golf, you aren't having the same conversations they are either. I don't give a crap about golf. I don't want to talk about whatever the sporting event was last night. I'm not complaining about a wife. Like, and then I can remember at one event, I ended up getting sat at the wives table of these types of men. And they're like, oh my God, are your boobs real? Who's your favorite designer? And you're like, OMG, this is not for me either. Like, <laughs> like it just, so you, you're Who's always your favorite designer. <laughs> you're like always in these like spots that like you don't feel like you fit, whether it's the wives table or even the, I have another girlfriend who is very similar to us and she's a homeschool mom as well. And she's like, Oh my God, I had to take my daughter to a birthday party and she was having so much fun. And I was freaking miserable because I don't know what to say to these people and I don't care about what they're talking about. And so many people get mad when I say this because they're like, Oh, you're judging everybody. I am not judging them. I'm just not interested in those topics and that is okay. So it all kind of spun out of that. I wanted to figure out where can I find other entrepreneurial women? How do I find other women? So when I started social media to help women in general figure out how to be financially free, I started getting messages from these other girls who were in similar situations. So like, oh my gosh, I'm building a business too, or whatever it was. I was like, there's more women than I think. So let's put them all in a group and let's like go to a retreat. So it's kind of how it started. And now like you, um, every friend I have right now came from the mastermind. So kind of was because I just didn't want to sit in the room with the guys anymore. I love that. Or, or at the wives table. 
And you know what I, I've also found too, like I didn't really have friends before the mastermind that I like, you know, wanted to, I know that sounds really bad, but like, I don't know. I just like, I never really had friends until now. And I know a lot of the girls in the mastermind that we've become friends. Like they're the same way. They're like, yeah, we don't, we don't want to go hang out with other people. Like we only just want to hang out with each other. And you've done such an amazing job at like creating this community of other like-minded women where for like the first time in my life, there's women that are rooting for each other. We're not like gossiping. You know what I mean? Like I, that's one thing I can't stand is like negativity and gossiping. And I don't want to be sitting at a table where people are talking about other people in like a negative way, or even just like celebrity got like, I just am, I, it like literally drains my energy. But when I'm with like women at the mastermind, that's why I love going to the retreats. Cause I get to like make friends in person. It's just like, everyone's talking about new ideas and like the cool new stuff that they want to like invest in and like, how can we all help each other? And I don't know. It's just like the first time of my whole entire life that I felt like other women, like actual real true friendships that genuinely care about one another and like want to see each other do well. And you've done such an amazing job at like creating that and like only letting in like the nice people, you know? Um, so I don't know. I just like, I love being a part of it. And I think it's just such a cool thing that you created. Um, so, so I don't anyway. want people to get the wrong idea though. We're not like this group of mean girls that are like, Ooh, only certain kinds of people are welcome. And it's not that we like think we're better than the other people. It's just that we don't have anything in common with them. Like think about if you're like, a normal girl who maybe you're not great at like math and science. Cause for some reason, that's what women tend to not be great at. I know there's some of y'all who are amazing at it. Like <laughs> don't send me mean messages about this. I'm giving you an example and you go sit. My dad's an example of this. My dad's a mechanical engineer and he like starts trying to tell my mom and I about black holes. And you're like, dad, I do not understand the black hole. And he's like, and it starts with an atom. I'm like, I don't get the atom dad to even understand the atom to get to a black hole. It's the same idea. Like you don't want to sit at the table and talk about atoms and black holes. Right. So it, it's more of just looking for your people and the ones who have something in common with you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's, it's, it's okay to go want to find people that you can have interesting conversations for. It's like dating. When you're dating, not only do you have to be physically attracted to somebody, you need to be mentally stimulated by them. Mm. Because if you're not mentally stimulated by them and they're only like, dang, they're hot, you're going to get bored really quick. Yeah, but if totally. you're like, oh my gosh, they're so interesting and you're not physically attracted to them, you're never going to be more than friends. So building your friend group kind of works the same way. If you don't have interesting things to talk about with each other, you're not going to be friends for very long and you're not going to be satisfied. Yeah, totally. So once you started the mastermind, then how soon did you start the retreats after? Like what made you want to start doing retreats? I literally randomly came up with it to the point where I didn't tell my marketing team because I knew they were going to be mad at me. And I got my assistant. I'm like, I need you to go on Canva and create this and I'm going to post it and we're going to see how many people sign up. And my marketing team is not going to see it until after we post it. And they're going to be like, Heather, what are you doing? Um, and so that's what we did. And I posted it and we had like 15 girls at the first retreat, which interesting thing, we still have um, a couple of those 15 girls that come to all the retreats. If you remember, if you know, like um, Kobe um, or Lisa or um, the one that we just had a podcast episode with them, Summer and Elena, they were oh, all yeah. at my first retreat and we've had them around from the beginning. 
And we all went to a cabin in the Smoky Mountains and we talked about our goals and we did some hot seat coaching and we ate some really great food. Um, I think we had Botox too. We, oh, we did because, because Elena, Elena doesn't get Botox. So um, like they did B12 shots for Elena. <laughs> yeah, we need that at the next retreat. What the heck? I missed out on the Botox retreat. Dang. Yeah. Yes. So it was super fun. That was a couple years ago. That was the first one we ever did. So it was just random. You were, to, did you already have the mastermind at that point? I had a, a Facebook group. There were like a thousand girls in the Facebook group and we did like monthly sessions and that's where it started. That's so freaking cool. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So once you get to your level of success, what becomes important to you? Because I feel like you get to a point where you like, you have everything you've always wanted. So then what's next? So some people think of working as like, if I did, if I had enough money, I wouldn't work. That's how like you generally think of it when you have a W-2 job or you hate the job that you're in. And I don't hate what I do. I love what I do. I love Mondays. Like Mondays make me happy. I like coming down to my desk. And like right now I have the, I was finishing up the second half of the January schedule. I'm writing out the schedule for the retreat. Like this stuff is super fun for me. We're, we booked this like yacht this morning for all the women to go out on them Thursday night for the retreat. Like I love doing this stuff. And so at the level that I'm at, I have two priorities and that is saying yes to the things that I want to say yes to and no to the things I don't, even to the point of stupid little stuff. I hate calling people. Like I avoid calling people like the plague Same to, the here. Point to, where, <laughs> to the point to where I have an assistant who calls to like change doctor's appointments and it probably takes just as long for um, her to call and reschedule the kids orthodontist appointment as it does for me to send the text, yeah. but I don't want to talk to people. So it's, this is a dumb example, but saying yes to the things I want to and no to the things that I don't. Um, and then prioritizing my time because as much as I love sitting here at my desk and going to these retreats and going to conferences, literally before we press record, Shannon and I were talking about needing to go to a podcast conference that's in like two weeks. And I have to intentionally balance that out with the time that I want with my family <clears throat> because the demands of what we do never end and you could sit here and work indefinitely. So I say no to everything that happens after 4 p.m. If it's after 4 p.m., I am not committing to it. I don't care what it is. Um, I also say no to anything that happens on Fridays because Fridays are family fun. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on. Fridays are family fun day for us. And so um, I intentionally have Fridays as a day that the kids and I go do something fun lately because I've been on bed rest. We're going to a movie every week, but we intentionally go do something that's fun and that they want to do because my kids are only going to be little for so long. And I don't want to regret not having that time with them. So mine's more about being in control of my own time is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. I feel like when I look at like very successful people that when I, when I say very successful in the level that like, there's a certain level of success that you reach where it's like, you can buy really anything that you want and you, you know, you have the nannies and the trainers and like, you kind of like have everything you've always wanted, but you know, most of the people that are like you and other people that reach that level of success, I feel like do what they love to do. But I think 
the most important thing would you say in your top priority is your time and how it's spent? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and then, so going forward, like, what do you, what is something that you are wanting to do in the future that you haven't done yet? Have, are you thinking about like anything new and exciting that you like Heather Blankenship has in the works? I think I've been a little bit frustrated with myself and <clears throat> up until maybe this week, I, I hadn't changed how I thought about that. Um, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I'm 39 and about to have my fifth baby. I had my fourth baby only like four and a half months ago. And so maybe it's been five months ago. I don't even know at this point, y'all. <clears throat> but I got pregnant two months after I had just given birth. And that's taken a lot of my energy. And I didn't really have like a next big goal. And I didn't like, I've never not had that next big goal. And I, I kept thinking like, why do I not have something else that I'm striving for or trying to accomplish? Because I've never been in that situation. And so I prayed about it and put a lot of thought into it and have decided that I don't have another big goal right now because I'm still working on the current goal. I am still working on making the mastermind amazing. I'm still work. So we specialize in helping women be like wealthy in all areas of their life. We were talking about that and really getting good at each of those areas in the mastermind. Like this month, we brought on a new um, nutrition coach and she did her first session and it was freaking amazing. And um, we're interviewing tomorrow a um, life and relationship therapist for, mm -hmm. to talk with the girls each month. And so I'm still really focused on growing this mastermind and helping the most women that I can. So I think that's why I don't have another really big goal yet. I also think it's totally okay to be in phases of your life. And I am in a phase of babies. Like I am <laughs> defined by babies right now. And I need to get through being pregnant and like postpartum um, to like move on from that phase. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I love to hear that. It just shows like how much you care about making it like the best it can be, you know? Um, and yeah, I feel like, oh my gosh, we're like already up for it. I could, I could literally ask you like 20 more questions, like, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm trying to think we of like how we covered can... enough. Yeah, we've probably covered enough about me. I'm really looking forward because it's, I'm not used to just talking about myself. I'm used to going back and forth with you. So I'm really looking forward to getting to ask you some similar questions on our next recording session. But ladies, I want you to remember that authenticity is your superpower. Stay unapologetically yourself and let's continue embracing our uniqueness together. Make sure you've hit that follow button so that you don't miss our next episode where we're going to talk all about Miss Shannon.